I know that was a bit abrupt right there with the music and everything, but I'm going to ask them to go back to that, that, um, that clip that we just had. It said, are you missing the full life that Jesus really has for you? And some of us don't fully comprehend what that means. And so I just want us to sit in some more prayer before we get going with the message this morning and think about what it is to have the full life God is intending for us. Um, it's the, uh, I've told you probably a year and a half ago, the dream that I had, I kept waking up middle of the night, um, had times where I would just literally be sweating. Other times I'd be crying, and it's when I woke up. Uh, every single time in the dream I'd wake up, I'd, I would have died, I'd go before God, and God would have looked at me. And instead of saying, well done, good and faithful servant, he would have said, Joel, I had so much more for you. We can talk about the theology of that and everything else, but I think that's the majority of people. We don't really recognize the fullness of what God has in store for us, not to further ourselves, but to further the name of Jesus Christ, because the name of Jesus Christ is worthy to be made known throughout every corner of the world. And he wants to use you to be a part of that. And some of us are struggling so much to release the temporary things of our lives that we never recognize the eternal things that God wants us to be a part of. And so right now, before we go any further, let's just go back to God in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, I come before you and I ask that every single person in this place, whether they're sitting in front of me now or if they're watching, whatever it is, that every single one of us would know what it is to have freedom in Jesus Christ. That every single person here in this place would know what it is to have a full life. Because of faith in you and knowing that you're all about redeeming and renewing. You're all about giving us second and third chances. You're all about us being able to know what it is to have comfort and forgiveness and grace. Would you sing this with me? Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. God, we thank you for your love. For anybody who needs a double dose of it right now, give it to them, God. May they sit in your grace. Amen. Amen. We are in a series talking about what it is to have a full life versus an empty life. We're being able to speak about that. And today we're going to get a bit dirty in, in the dirt and really just bit muddy even when we look at a passage today that shows us what it is to live a full life. Uh, maybe you've gone through a part of your life, though, and you go, man, 
you look back on it and you missed part of what God was doing. You didn't fully recognize what God was doing. Later on, you go, man, if I would have only known, right? When somebody initially said, man, there's this new company, you should invest in it called Amazon. And I laughed and said, whatever. Nobody's going to use a computer to buy everything. Um, got that one wrong. Um, maybe you've, looked, you've done something in your own life and you go, I, I didn't see the fullness, the reality of everything that was unfolding um, I know that when I came out of seminary, I was speaking to various churches in different states, and one of the churches, all of a sudden, they called me up. It's from Louisville, Kentucky, and I go and I visit. I didn't know much about Kentucky. I knew they were called the bluegrass state, and I'm going, well, grass isn't blue, so how smart are they? Um, literally, that was what I was thinking to myself, and I'm going, okay, I'm going to go to visit Louisville, Kentucky, and so I go to Louisville, Kentucky, and the first time I have a church meeting uh, with everybody there, they're interviewing me. I met this woman named Melissa and I didn't care if they hired me or not, I was moving to Kentucky. <laughs> because I didn't see the full picture. I didn't see all that God was really orchestrating and what he was lining up. And sometimes that's how we are. We don't see the fullness of what God is really wanting to do. And we, we wear blinders. We really don't even pick our head up lately with leadership and talking with our staff. I'm like, guys, uh, I want to challenge you to pick your head up. We, we walk right here, and we're looking right in front of our feet, and we don't see the things that are coming in, in fullness and the reality of what it is. We need to pick our heads up so we can see all that God is really wanting, all that God is really wanting to accomplish and to do. Some of us need to do that with our families. We look down, and we're just trying to grind it out and get through the day. And we need to pick our heads up and recognize that God can do something amazing in your marriage. Some of you are those marriages who last week when I said some of you are sitting beside your spouse right now and you're trying to figure out how to get out of the marriage and they don't know it. Some, some of those people are still sitting here right now. But I'm telling you, God can restore, God can renew, and God can redeem anyone at any time from anything. And he can move in our lives that way. And so we want to know what it is to have a full life. That's why we've been looking at John 10.10. 10. John 10.10 10 in, the, in the NIV, it says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. He didn't come so that we would have a partial life of, with him and part of our life being away from him. He wants the entirety of our lives and he wants us to experience the joy and the comfort and the peace that comes with that, that ushers into our lives when we surrender to him. Uh, we also know that some of us will really never experience full life because we want to hold on to who we are and we're not willing to surrender. We'll get into that in a little bit. We know that full life comes from recognizing that the stone has been moved in order to let us in. We know that an empty life is circumstantial. We know that Satan wants to distract us and distill all the life that God has in store for us. But we also know that a full life can be had today. Maybe even when you were growing up, one of the questions that you were presented in terms of people from church, people of faith, they would walk up to you and they'd go, hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody? Maybe you've asked that question to people before. It's not a bad question at all, but here's where I would tell you, I hope that it goes further than that because here's the thing. When you look at someone and you say, hey, listen, um, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to go? It, it can't stop there. 
Because then what it, if it stops there, what it becomes is, is fire insurance. It's basically, um, it doesn't change anything right now. You don't have to do anything with it. But if you just declare something, then if you do die, you're going to be okay. So again, it's not a bad question. I don't need those letters. I'm not saying it's a bad question. But I'm saying don't stop with that question because the full life in Jesus Christ isn't about only what happens when you die. It's about what happens as soon as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind because you surrender to who Jesus Christ is. It starts now. It doesn't start later. It starts now. And so then we live in this captivity and we live in this place of just misery sometimes. And we go and we ask ourselves, why am I a believer in Jesus Christ? And for so many, so many of us, it's because we've never truly said, I'm in. I'm in. And so we rob ourselves of what it actually means to have a full life in Jesus. We make the gospel cheap, and a cheap gospel offers a cheap life. But a full gospel, the entirety of it, it offers a full life. Eternal life begins now. And so this is what I want us to do. I want us to look at a passage today that I think helps us to understand how to have, what are the things, what are the traits, what are the characteristics of someone who's living a full life? And we're going to look at a passage in which... Peter is addressing, and it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, but he's addressing people who are going through difficulty. These are people who are a part of the dispersion. Now, um, Simon, Simon Peter, we know that after he really just surrendered to Jesus Christ, uh, Christ came. We know names are important, and he called him Petros or, or Rock. So Peter, he renamed that for him and said, okay, I'm going to give you a new name. And so here's Peter writing this. Here's someone who is one of the 12, was so close to who he was, confessed to who Christ was. Uh, we know in the, uh, the beginning of Acts, he really guided a lot of the Messianic uh, community. But then later on, he went and hit Gentiles and everybody else and started to really call out who Jesus was. And God was using him to do mighty, mighty things. And there is this dispersion of people who were being um, really ridiculed and living through a lot of difficulty and hardship, and now he's writing to them. And so this is a letter that went to several different places. It would have spread throughout the church. And he's encouraging people that even in the midst of hardship and difficulty, these are traits, these are things that you should be doing. This is how you should be living if you have a full life in Jesus Christ. So the reason I want to look at this passage is because it's easy. If everything's going well in your life, it's easy to say, hey, this is how you should always act, right? But when things are going poorly, when things are hard, when things are difficult, that's when you really get to measure someone. And so here in 1 Peter, we discover what some of those traits are, some of those characteristics that are coming to the surface. And so with all these communities who are suffering and going through hardship, he calls out. And he begins in 1 Peter. I would love for you to go there. I'm not going to ask for you to even go anywhere else today. You can go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, if it helps you at all, it is right before 2 Peter. Right after James. End of the book. Go to the Bible. It's very, very end. Amazing text. He calls out, he says, he begins to praise God in verse 3. 
Um, He says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Appropriate passage, considering the fact that we just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which gives us living hope. Living hope. It's not some fantasy. It's not some fantasy. He's calling this out. He praises God that we can be born into a living hope, and he lets them know that suffering, even the difficulty, because right now some of them are suffering, even the suffering can deepen your faith and help you to recognize more of what it is to have a full life. You primarily look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, verse 7, more precious, this genuine faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He then continues on in 8, 9, 10. 11 and 12, he speaks about this new family identity that they can now have when they live according to Christ and the fullness that he has planned for them. And he speaks of that new identity. And so here we're going to jump into verse 13 and following. And we get to go, okay, here are some people who are spread throughout, who are struggling, who have a lot of difficulty in front of them. And here are some traits of individuals who have a full life in the way that they're living. This is what it looks like in the midst of that persecution, hardship. And this is what it says, verse 13 and following. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If your life is circumstantial, it's dependent upon, and you can just leave this passage up there if you would. If your life is dependent upon this, the circumstantial, the things that are temporary, that means you can't focus on that. You can't focus on the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you as holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, this is where it begins. It begins with this word, therefore. We love this word, therefore. Um, it's, uh, another translation of therefore is going to be as a result of, because of, right? We know this. As a result of this, so you have to look back and go, well, he's saying therefore. So as a result of knowing that the genuineness of our faith, the full life that God really intends for us to have through the revelation of Jesus Christ, it can be had. And so as a result of knowing that even in the midst of suffering and persecution, we can live a life, according to verse 3, that is all about being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So as a result of living in the hope of Jesus Christ as our Savior, therefore, this is how you are to live. Therefore, this is how you are to to govern your lives because you now live in grace. You now live in mercy. You can be redeemed and justified and sanctified and adopted. 
And so we have this hope fully in Christ that you will receive glory and honor in Christ as well. Very first thing he says to do is he says, um, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Use your mind to light the fire to the hope found in Christ. So that's what's interesting about faith. That's what's interesting about so many different churches. Um, that's why we're so careful about how we do certain things here. A lot of times, um, what you can end up doing, um, you can end up playing on the emotions of other individuals. You can touch the heart, and then you move on. Um, and they alter their lives for a little bit, but then they revert and they go back. What he's letting you know is if you have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's something that's going to last. If you have uh, the opportunity to deepen your understanding of Scripture and the Word of God, then what you can do is your, your mind and your knowledge is going to then also inform your heart. And so that's why we, we have those learning experiences here for you to jump into Scripture and to jump in and to, to learn as much as you can about the Word of God because when you allow yourselves to prepare your minds for action, you're using your mind to light the fire to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so you want to chase that. And often our minds serve our hearts. Our minds and what we speak and what we say and what we process inform our hearts. And so living a full life isn't sitting back and waiting for death. Please hear me say, eternal life is not about sitting back and waiting for death. Eternal life is now, and so we prepare our minds, which prepares and enriches our hearts to really live according to Christ. And we know that we need to be mentally strong. We need to be mentally strong. Those are always the people, the people who have that mental strength to persevere in the midst of hardship no matter what. And they are just willing to work harder than everyone else. They don't even have the same giftedness as some in, in particular areas. You know, uh, sometimes I respect the, the athlete who just works harder. They're not as talented naturally, but they just work harder. It's that type of thinking. And so you want to prepare yourselves and you need to be mentally strong. You don't want to listen to the lies. And what your mind processes impacts your heart. What we think we become, maybe you've heard that. They also, recently somebody says, well, you are what you eat. All I know, I'm a pancake then, because last night I ate 27 pancakes at home. My kids are like, I want pancakes, I want breakfast. I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go. I'm not going to eat any, I'm just going to eat some eggs, it's protein, and I ate all their leftovers. Well, what you think is what you become. And so you want to think appropriately in terms of who God is and what he's teaching you in your own life. And we can have a renewed mind and constantly renew our minds. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12. And so we want to prepare our minds for action. Sharpen your minds. Another thing that we want to do is we want to, it says to be sober-minded. Another way of thinking about being sober-minded is to be self-controlled. To be self-controlled. If you're living a full life, it means you are self-controlled. This is a gauge for you. Are you living a full life? Well, if you're not self-controlled, it's hard to live in a full life. You don't want anything other than Holy Spirit controlling and guiding your life, determining what you do. And so he's speaking to this, saying be self-controlled. And often we are controlled by so many other things. Some of us are controlled by the internet. 
some of us are controlled truly by social media. If I tell some of you right now that you can't look at Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or ChatSnap or all those different things for the next 48 hours, you'll develop a twitch. That's a challenge for you right now. For the next 48 hours, young people, adults, all of it, doesn't matter what your age is. We're to be controlled by nothing other than Holy Spirit. And for some of us, the internet, social media is controlling us. And by the way, all it does is designed to make you feel bad, so you buy whatever they're selling. It doesn't matter what it is. So way to invest well. Like, I get it, and I get the need of it, everything else, but make sure that nothing is controlling you other than the Holy Spirit. Some, for, for some of us, it's eating. Like everything revolves around eating. I grew up um, in the south-south, like deep south, where everything, like if you had anything happening, you just talk about the food that you're going to serve. And so all entertaining was built around that. It didn't matter what it is. Like, I mean, that's just what you did. Everywhere you, you carried an extra casserole in your trunk everywhere you went. It's just the way it was. And so as a family, my wife and I, we had conversations, and we, it's part of the reason probably I drink so much coffee is because I was like, listen, if I want to be somewhat healthy, I need to at least go from casseroles to coffee. So now a lot of it's built around coffee, but at least it's not built around casseroles. For some of us, drinking. You don't know how to sit with friends. Like if you can't sit with your friends without alcohol in your hand and have a good conversation, there's a problem. There's a problem. And so he's saying, I need you to prepare your minds for action, but also I need you to be self-controlled. Is there something controlling you other than God? Is there something that's driving you, that's pushing you other than God? It doesn't mean that it can't be present, but if it has a louder voice, a louder influence than God does, you're going to struggle with knowing a full life. So we want to prepare our minds for action. We want to be self-controlled. And then he comes and he continues after saying that you should be sober-minded. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Find hope in grace. Because even if you're struggling with setting your minds, preparing your minds for action and being self-controlled, here's the most beautiful part of it. God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We cannot forget that. Man, he loves us. And he's telling them, listen, I know you're going through difficulty. I know you're going through obstacles and you're going through hardship. But don't forget, hope is a virtue. We find that. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's a virtue. It's something that we can hold on to. It is reality. Hope is not just this idea of just this notion of maybe it'll happen or, or wishful thinking, right? We speak about that often. We know that hope is a virtue. It's something that we can rely on because it's truth. Hope is power. When you hope in Christ, hope is power. 
We are fragile when we find little hope in Christ because then we're trying to find our strength in self. And so we were to prepare our minds for action. We are to be self-controlled. We are to find hope and grace. And then it continues, and it says that as obedient children, obey. That's the thing. We are to obey Christ. The word obedience, um, it is absorbed differently today than it was even 10 years ago, much less 20 or 30 years ago. Because today, we raise children to be defiant. And you're going, well, no, I don't. Uh, for the most part, our culture raises kids to be defiant. And so when it says, as obedient children, some people read the word obedient, and they go, oh, no, nobody's going to tell me what to do. If that's your first response is nobody's going to tell me what to do, already you are struggling with whether or not you've surrendered to Jesus Christ. There's directness. Do I need to be more direct than that? You have not surrendered your self-rights. Part of knowing Jesus Christ is saying, I fully surrender to him. He is now. He is now the king of my life. I am his. And I will do anything he requests, anything that he asks. Because that's part of having a full life. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We process and comprehend and absorb all of this. And so we need to obey. Pride is so prevalent that to obey is almost to say that I don't matter. That's what we've interpreted it as as a society today. We've made an idol out of defiance. Well, look at what I stood against, and yet we don't even know what we're standing for. As obedient children, he says. Some of the young people in here, as soon as your parents ask you, you automatically, instead of trusting that they have your best interest in mind, you ask why. Will you do this? Why? Parents, you owe me money right now. We carry that same mentality over when God asks us to do something. Instead of saying, yes, God, you are my king, we go, why? How's that going to impact me? So we struggle to obey. We question before we trust. When we conform to a pattern that's contradictory to where God is intending for us to go. Everything about our lives is to be about representing who we stand for, not what we stand against. And so he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I want to address that last part, and this is what he's really communicating. Don't revert. (laughs) I want to put this as simple as I can. He tells us, as obedient children, if you're being an obedient child, if you've surrendered to Jesus, even in the midst, remember, he's writing to people who've been scattered and all the churches are reading this, and he's writing to people who are going through hardship and difficulty. These people knew hardship and difficulty. 
Sometimes people look at me and they go, oh, you got a bad letter, or you got this or this, something like this. It can't be that easy of a life. You're really being persecuted. I don't know persecution when it comes to faith like it's talking about here. I don't know it. Let's not confuse the matter. These people are suffering, and they're, they're being persecuted, and they're walking through hardship. And all of a sudden, he says, but as obedient children, don't go back. Don't be conformed by your previous, your former ignorance of living to self. Live according to Christ. Don't revert. Why? Because we know that these passions that we have in life, they come from where you give and place the most value. And if you now find value in Christ and the full life that he wants for you, it's now part of full life is surrendering your desires for the desires of God. And you're going, well, how can that be full life? I get it. Some of you are going, no, I don't. Wait a second. I thought God wants me to be happy. He wants you to know the joy of what it is to have eternity, yes, but also the joy of serving something greater than self. And I think these are part of the struggles that we have. That's what we always talk about here. We have default settings. Our default settings are prayer and discipleship. We always want to jump into the word of God, and we always want to pray. That's why in a service, um, there can be four, five, six, sometimes seven different prayers that are offered because we just want it to be a part of everything that we are. Right? We want it to be part of our core. He goes on here, he's, he's letting them know, therefore, as a result of all this, if you really want to live a full life, if you're finding your hope in what it is to be born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's 1 Peter 1, verse 3. If that's what you're doing, you're going to prepare your minds for action, you're going to be self-controlled, you're going to find hope and grace, you're going to obey, you're not going to revert and go back to your previous life. You're going to be holy. And I don't want to go into the whole thing about being holy. I don't have enough time in this sermon. I could preach a month on just what that means. But here's really what he's getting at. And I want to make sure that we sit on for this for just a second. Let me do it like this. If you, um, maybe some of you went to college. If you go to college, that means you have to leave what? Okay, that didn't work. Um, high school. Or home. I think one of you said home, so good for you. Like, if you're going to college, that means you have to leave high school. You can't do both. It doesn't work that way. If, in order to, if you already have a job, in order, if you get a new job, if you're going to a new job, that means you have to leave what? Yes. Second service, I start with that one. For some of you, you're getting married, and some of you have already been married, and you are married. And in order to step into a married life, that means you need to leave what? A single life. <laughs> this whole exchange has told me that next time all questions will be rhetorical. If you're going to college, that means you have to leave high school. If you're getting married and you're stepping into that unity that is found in Christ, and by the way, if you're looking at getting married, if that person isn't pushing you toward Jesus Christ, truly pushing you toward Jesus Christ, you should not marry them. That's just a little nugget there for you. 
But also, if you're getting a new job, you already have a job, that means in order to have a new job, you have to leave the old job. And here's the struggle. Here's what it is. That's why I say don't revert. This is the reason why. The struggle that we're actually having today, the reason we're not walking in the full life that God has designed for us is because we want a foot in both. Some of you, you're with someone right now and you're still comparing your wife or your husband to somebody you dated 15 years ago. Guess what? You're not dating them anymore. Some of you are struggling because you're wanting to live this new life, but you still really want to live in the old life too. And you don't want to give that up. Some of you get married and you're like, man, I just want to hang out with my buddies on Friday night. And so then you step back into that world. And so what you're doing, you're struggling, you're, you're struggling because you're living partially here and you're living partially here. You can't do both. You see when I'm, you're picking up when I'm laying down. And if we're really looking in the mirror, then we have to ask ourselves, do we have our foot in both places? And our marriages, are we actually living as though we want to be single? Or are we living as though we're really wanting something different than that unity of marriage? But then at other times, we're like, well, that serves me best, and so I'm going to live in that marriage. And then so as a result of that, your marriage is in strain and there's difficulty in a relationship or maybe it's because you go to a new job and automatically all you see is what's wrong because of what you had at your previous job rather than seeing what God could use you for in terms of bettering it and introducing Jesus Christ to people. Some of you are struggling because all you see is what's broken rather than what Jesus has already fixed. And that's the dilemma that we have. That's why we struggle living in a full life. Because so many of us are claiming it with our mouths, but we're keeping this leg over here and we got this foot over here. And you can't do both. And too many of us are unwilling to release the past. We find value in who we were. We find value in what we did rather than who we're becoming in Christ and how he's teaching us and stretching us and shaping us and moving us and transforming us by the power of Jesus Christ. We need to find value in who you're, you need to find value in who you're becoming in Christ not who you were in self. Just to, just to conclude, as the team comes back out, and it reminds me of, uh, I'm not going to go deep into this, but it reminds me of Revelation 3. A couple years ago, I preached about the seven churches, the beginning of Revelation. In Revelation 3, you have the church of Laodicea, and it's the place that maybe you've heard of it before. People speak about it because it was, they say it was lukewarm. Well, it's, the reason he's using Laodicea is you have cities on both sides. One had cold springs, one had hot springs. And in the middle, you had Laodicea, which had lukewarm springs. They actually had to bring their cold water in with aqueducts because they lived that lukewarm life, right? They couldn't drink the water. And it reminds me of that because so many of us are living that life. We're just lukewarm. You got one foot in one place, you got another foot in the other, and you don't even recognize 
that you're doing that. And what you're doing is you're hurting your own faith, you're hurting your own relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're also hurting the people around you. Because it's incredibly confusing. <laughs> if you think about it, it really is. Because at one moment you're living for one life, and another moment you're living for another life. That's exhausting. And so then some of us need to make a decision. Are we willing to change the type of life that we're going to live? You can't live a full life while living in the previous life. Remember, Christ has already set you free from the old life. Of chasing yourself and constantly running in that game. What do you need to step away from? What do you need to step away from so that you can fully step into Jesus? That's the question for you this week. What do you fully need to step away from so that you can fully step into Jesus? And you, some of you are just, man, you're holding on. You're like, oh, there's a new life, but you're just holding on. You're, you're there. You're not going to let go of that previous life, not fully. Because your thought is, if somebody tells me to, how dare they? This is my life. It's not friends, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not your life anymore. It's not your life anymore. And I know this isn't like, if, if you're new here, this is not the message to go like, see, look, at you're awesome. You are awesome because you get to live for Christ. But no, that being a follower is about surrendering self fully to who he is and saying, I'm in. I'm in. And you're not going to keep living with one foot over here and another foot over here. Will you seize the new life, the full life that God has for you? And will you leave the old? And some of you are you're partial. And you need to ask yourself, what is it that you need to step away from so that you can fully step into Jesus? God, I come before you. And I give you thanks that truly, according to your mercy, we can be born again to a living hope to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we call out to you and we worship you. You're the Lamb of God through your Son, Jesus. We give you thanks that you are the great sacrifice. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing to him?